Hi, I'm Nicole Ferraro, and this is The Divide, a podcast from Light Reading exploring the ongoing digital divide, why and where it still exists, and what needs to be done to get people everywhere connected to reliable high-speed internet. Today, I am joined by Ernesto Falcon, Senior Legislative Counsel at the Electronic Frontier Foundation and a candidate for California's Senate District 7. We discuss the role of the digital divide in his campaign and candidacy, including his views on broadband progress and policy in California, and how he hopes to use his power if elected to the state legislature to expand access to free and affordable broadband. Ernesto, uh, welcome to the podcast. Actually, welcome back to the podcast. So nice to see you. Hey, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So um, just quick context for uh, why you're here today. Uh, you were actually the very first guest on The Divide back in ye old January 2021. And um, you recently announced a run for Senate in California's 7th District. So I wanted to have you back to kind of catch up on some broadband stuff and also talk about the intersection of broadband and your run for office and your campaign over there. Um, but before we jump into some broadband stuff, tell me a bit about um, the race you're in and uh, the district you're you're running in and, and why you're running for office. Certainly. So uh, California has uh, term limits for our state legislature and my uh, state senator, her name's uh, Nancy Skinner, um, has done a lot of great stuff. She, she turns out in 2024. So I, I live in the East Bay. So that's uh, Oakland, uh, Berkeley, El Cerrito, Richmond, uh, and the seat is open. So it's one of those times where uh, people who uh, haven't run for office before, you know, first time candidates like myself, you know, have a, a better shot at winning simply because there isn't an incumbent you're challenging. That's usually pretty difficult. And I have often contemplated returning to public service. I, I've worked in government for many years prior to joining the nonprofit sector and uh, have worked in the legislative process for give or take almost 20 years now. And, um, you know, it, there's a lot of things that are that are uh, very important to uh, the people in this area and, and in my life, and I, you know, I felt that it was time for me to to offer, um, you know, offer voters in the area, um, you know, my experience, my 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 knowledge, my background in infrastructure, which I think kind of is a number of issues. There's there's a technology component to it. There's a cost of living component to it. Uh, there's a, a huge challenge in public education in this in the state. And uh, I felt uh, motivated to, to run and, um, you know, offer myself as a candidate. Awesome. Well, more power to you. Good luck. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about uh, broadband. Uh, certainly, if you win your election, you'll have the opportunity to vote for some broadband bills, I'm sure, and set policy. Um, and you've had a lot of experience working on policy. So um, I'm sure you already have a lot of ideas on what you'd like to do. But before we talk about some of those, um, I'd love to hear from you on just the state of the digital divide in California, the progress that's been made on broadband? Um, what do you see as impediments to progress in the state? Uh, what's your, what's your, your overview on, on how things are right now uh, with regard to broadband progress? So I'm, I'm extremely optimistic about where California is going on broadband access. Um, SB 156, which is our state's infrastructure law, it's a $7 billion uh, grant and long-term financing program that uh, Governor Newsom included in his budget uh, a few years ago, uh, was originally uh, an EFF-sponsored bill that I helped draft with Senator Lena Gonzalez um, a year or two prior. Uh, and then the pandemic hit and kind of changed the politics of broadband and the presumption of can we, you know, how much money are we willing to spend to solve this issue? Once everyone was dependent on a connection, 
uh, that changed the politics of it across the the district and the state had a um, $60 billion surplus to work with. So I, I am very optimistic because the state has set in stage, um, and this is before the federal investment of the um, the congressional infrastructure funds to deliver fiber optics to basically every single Californian. Uh, that that the number seven billion is is premised on a um, some pretty detailed cost model data that shows how much the state would have to subsidize construction uh, to deliver future proof access, uh, meaning access that'll last uh, and scale up in future speeds for decades. So five years from now, I think broadband access in California will look radically different than it looks today. Because now this is the year where grants are starting to be made, um, project applications are coming into the government to begin building fiber in more places, and um, the 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 potential that comes from those that network is is significant. There's a lot of things you can do to leverage it for a lot of uh, public interest benefits that I'm interested in really tackling. Uh, you know, should I make it through the gauntlet of an election? Uh, and there's also a lot of equity issues uh, remaining for the state too. So we, we are. I think proactively solving the digital divide in the rural areas, uh, as well as the urban poor uh, neighborhoods that are left behind in our major cities. But there are places what, that you would consider quote unquote served, um, but are still connected with legacy infrastructure, meaning uh, infrastructure built 30 years ago, usually copper wire uh, DSL, that needs some new policies in place to either transition those those old lines that are providing a, an okay enough broadband connection today, but will will be pretty useless in a handful of years um, over towards fiber optics. So this is the California Public Utilities Commission digital redlining proceeding and the Federal Communications Commission uh, digital discrimination rulemaking. The, these are things that are meant to tackle that issue, the kind of the first class, second class deployment of infrastructure, broadband infrastructure in the cities. Okay. And so those things you see as needing to happen um in addition to just the bead funds rolling out with the existing rules that they have with a preference for fiber in order to get that um, older technology upgraded in these communities? Yes. I mean, this is primarily low-income access issues. Um, so uh, low-income Californians have internet access. Uh, it's just slower and more expensive and certainly doesn't keep up with modern needs. Um, mm -hmm. We live in a world where, particularly like in the Bay Area, a lot of the workers here are remote workers, you know, people who can um, or, or they have access to those types of jobs uh, and opportunities to access those jobs. But your connection at home kind of dictates how much you can really um, make use of this, that kind of work in the tech sector and other places. So, you know, upgrading those lines is different than, you know, building infrastructure in places that are, you know, quote unquote, unserved, you know, areas that lack Internet. And uh, yeah, these things have to kind of happen concurrently. Otherwise, in the most ironic way, you're going to have huge public investments in rural areas that tend to, um, you know, that will have uh, internet connections that are vastly superior to places like in Oakland and in, um, you know, and even my own city of El Cerrito. So mm -hmm. that, that makes little to no sense. Um, it is actually quite profitable to serve uh, densely populated cities fully, but uh, we don't really have any rules in place that uh, promote equal access to the infrastructure. Okay. And so when would, when should we expect um, rules from the Public Utilities Commission? Is, is that contingent on what the FCC decides? 
Yes, the, these okay. are going to be in, these are interconnected because um, you know California began investigating what you call digital redlining uh, a couple years ago, and then mm-hmm. the um, the Congress created the digital the federal digital discrimination rule for the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, to implement. Now, these could come in conflict if the FCC decides to you know adopt a lower standard or um, your or completely different direction simply because of, of what you call federal supremacy. The federal laws will trump over contradictory state laws. Um, ideally, both the FCC and the CPC go in the same direction. Um, this ties up to um, the issue of whether President Biden has a fully staffed FCC and whether the Senate can confirm uh, Anna Gomez, who was recently nominated, because without three Democratic commissioners over there, I worry that uh, Chairwoman Rosenworcel will have to kind of compromise and potentially, you know, uh, stifle state activity. So, mm-hmm. yeah, these are interrelated. Um, I mean, in the most ideal sense, if the FCC can't issue a good rule, it's best for them to kind of get out of the way of California to do its own work. And um, you'll wait for a future time where you can issue a better rule. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. I could stay on that topic for a while, but I'm going to force myself to move on. Um, <laughs> sure. Let's talk a little bit about um, affordability. Uh, what do you, what would you like, what's, well, has California made progress on this so far? Has the affordable connectivity program helped out to the, with this regard? To that end, are you worried about the ACP uh, running out of funding? And what would you like to do if you get elected to further broadband affordability in the state? So I'll start with one of the last questions there first, because I think it leads to everything else. Um, yeah. I don't think the House Republican majority is going to renew the Affordable Connectivity Program. Um, recent letters from uh, House Republican leaders, uh, Senator Ted Cruz from the Senate Commerce Committee uh, and McMorris Rogers from the House, you have know, indicated they do not see the value of a low-income uh, subsidy program, a program that has effectively made internet access free uh, for a, a about two million Californians uh, and millions of other uh, of Americans in other states. So, you know, it's an expensive program. Uh, I would argue it, it may be more expensive than necessary, simply because we don't do enough to collect um, cost of delivery information from ISPs. We we actually don't. As a, as a government, we don't actually collect enough information to know how much should we be subsidizing certain carriers to deliver free access to low-income people. And um, I suspect some refinement investigation of that would, would reveal that we can still deliver free access, but at a lower cost. However, the name of the game in D.C. right now is the cut spending and cap spending. Um, the you know the recent debt deal that came out uh, just a couple of days ago, you really indicates that the House majority does not want to increase spending and is certainly, I think, eager to look for areas they can cut spending without feeling like it, it would um, harm too many people in a way that would be politically costly to them. And I, and I think they don't see the value of ACP. So presuming that, I, I do think that California will have to decide what to do for, for the 2 million residents in our state that are dependent on this program. Um, with its own program. Uh, California is, is not afraid to lead when, um, when the nation kind of falls behind and kind of continue, um, you continue down a path of leadership. And I think it's pretty much essential. Um, internet access is essentially uh, akin to water and electricity for people. So we have to kind of take off the table, you know, cost as a barrier to access. And the ACP did that quite well. So 
you know, a California version of ACP. And, you know, if I, if I, I think that is the, one of the first issues in terms of broadband access that the next state legislature would have to tackle. And I would love to be a part of that because, um, you know, in, in, in my, my, I already have, um, the local ISPs as endorsers for my candidacy. I, I work with a lot of small ISPs on various issues. So I, I understand exactly what would work with them to del- continue to deliver free access. And, um, you know, and, and we'd, we'd have to work even with the large carriers too. I mean, it's just a matter of, um, some of them are the only access point for, for low income people and low income neighborhoods. And, um, I do. I think they're even they are vested in a continuation of a state equivalent if the if the federal program expires. Now, as I mentioned earlier, one I think the big challenges California faces in, in education is the fact that you know we we made a big mistake of keeping our schools closed longer than the rest of the country, and that has had some pretty major um, negatives for uh, proficiency in reading and math. Um, for particularly for low-income kids, particularly uh, black and brown families, the wealthy parents in the state, you know, basically hired private tutors during the pandemic when the schools were closed, and so they kept their kids caught up. And I think that the state has to figure out how to improve uh, delivery of government services to essentially replicate free tutoring, um, because it, there needs to be some really highly concentrated delivery of educational services to help children catch up on where they should be on reading and where they're in math. Because if we don't, uh, most studies show in four to five years, they, their you know, future trajectory of success is, is really uh, harmed. Um, you know, more of them would, will end up in jail because their prospects dry up. Uh, they'll earn you know, close to $100,000 less in, their, in the entirety of their lifetime as a result of, of being back uh, behind on educational attainment. So if the state is investing seven billion plus in building out this infrastructure and is appropriately regulating low-income access to improve and enforce companies to upgrade those lines to make them equal to all to wealthy neighborhoods um the thing that is missing in all that is not just price competition and, and lower prices but the ability to what i would say cross subsidize uh low-income access with with other users um fiber optic connectivity you know fiber broadband has this enormous potential of, of keeping costs very low as you add more users. And um, it's not unheard of because it's already happened in Chattanooga, Tennessee. In Chattanooga, Tennessee, every low-income person there today, before ACP, and before um, any sort of state involvement, get free internet today. Uh, for the next 10 years, they will get free 100 symmetrical internet, which is you know really high-quality speed, for $0. And the cost to the network, so... Chattanooga's network is a fiber network. It's more mature in that it's been invested in many years now, you know, more than a decade. Um, so a lot of their original investment costs, the con- cost of construction, these things have already been paid off. Um, you know, it costs them maybe 2 to $3 a month to deliver free high-speed internet to low-income people. So it the cost of delivering goes way down once you, you switch over to fiber. And if we can get their ne- our networks both in the urban areas and the, in the rural areas, over to fiber, you you really set the stage for very cheap subsidy cost for free access to low-income people. Okay. So it sounds like this is all somewhat doable with the funds that are going to be coming down through the BEAD program, through the Digital Equity Act, um, if the right policies are in place uh, in California to see those funds through. Is that right? 
That's right. That's right. And okay. I, I, I intend to, you know, th that is actually one of the first things I would probably introduce if I were to be a legislator is simply to restart, let's start with the public school sector. Um, you know, if you're a low income kid, uh, you, you know, you get a free internet connection at home. And, and on top of that, there's also a, the component of we used to give free computers out to people during the pandemic. Um, we should just continue that. Uh, mm -hmm. so the, the future economy is dependent on internet access and a computer for, for most jobs. And I think we have to start people very early in their educational process where they can get alchemated that. So a free computer when you start school and, a and when you go home, you know, you have a free internet access point. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, a, a number of the private ISPs that I work with are fully on board with this idea. They just need a state program that works with them, coordinates with them. And, um, you know, I'd be eager to kind of really tackle that because I think once we normalize that, you know, your income is not a barrier to whether you can access the internet. And I think demonstrate that th these things are not as expensive as they may seem. I mean, that is that is what the 21st century internet infrastructure can deliver is very cheap uh, cost um, numbers is um, I think a really I think some really amazing opportunities and, and options start coming uh, coming away, you know, starting at that point and then eventually, you know, in terms of um, their job opportunities and things of that nature. Got it. Okay. Um, one last question for you, just because I'm curious as someone who's uh, volunteered for uh, campaigns um, and is aware of how much uh, digital, how many digital tools are used these days, whether you're going out canvassing door to door or you're doing phone banking or text banking. Um, just wondering um, to what degree, if at all, the digital divide is getting in the way of your ability to reach everybody that you need to reach for, for this campaign and, and whether you're thinking about about that in terms of uh, constituent services, should you should you get elected? Um, uh, how is this impacting how you think about reaching out to the people that you need to reach out to most? So I, I think the for the East Bay, the the digital divide really is a cost barrier. Um, I think the fact that when ACP expires, um, because I, and that's my presumption. I you know I'm I'm hope you know we all hope it doesn't, but I, I think the politics of where DC is at really sets in stone that in this election year, it will expire. Um, that will mean a lot of people who, um, you know, I try to connect to and, and reach out to and meet over various social media platforms and other means of online communication, um, they will be harder to reach, I mean, is what it boils down to. And, um, you know, this is a district that is, like every district in California, is very large. So it's very hard for someone running for office or someone in elected office to be able to communicate with constituents uh, or future voters um, if they don't have a, an easy means of being online. So, you know, it, it is, this is a big reason why, you know, I've, I've framed the issue uh, both in my current work at the Electronic Frontier Foundation and in the, the political sense that um, not having a robust connection to the internet is effectively being relegated to second-class citizenship. Um, your, you know, the economy, healthcare, education, everything rides over the connection now. So, um, it, you know, we, we don't, we don't regulate this stuff like a utility, uh, yet. And it is akin to a utility for, for a huge number of people today. Very well said. Thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us about your campaign and best of luck, more power to you for doing this. <laughs> Hey, thanks for that. And if you know, for if your listeners are interested in learning more, um, you know, my my website's uh, ErnestoFalcone.com. Uh, I lay out uh, you know a handful of my issues. I mean, really, 
the the big effort uh, behind my candidacy is really giving people power over their lives. Um, I I think a lot of people run for office for the idea of of obtaining power and kind of some sort of elite status as an elected person. I, I'm just interested in uh, giving people power and figuring out how laws and regulation can can make people's lives uh, better. And and it really stems from the cost of living. It's far too expensive to live in California right now. There's a lot that the state legislature can do to fix that. And, um, you know, I want to be able to deliver that to people if if I'm so fortunate to be chosen by them. Thank you again, Ernesto, for joining me. Thank you as well to our producer, Pierre Landriau, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more episodes of The Divide, as well as interviews and insights from the Light Reading team. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.